newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on our best days, some insight, in fact, into what's going on in the news media these days. We have four veteran journalists here, and we hope to bring some insight, and we invite your points of view. My name is Rex Smith. I'm the former editor of the Times Union, currently writing theupstateamerican.com. And I am here with Judy Patrick, formerly editor of the Daily Gazette of Schenectady, Barbara Lombardo, who was executive editor of the Saratogian and the Record of Troy, and Ira Fussfeld, publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, New York, and his affiliated publications. Hello, you all. Hello there, Rex. Nice to see you. Well, it's good to be seen and everything like that. You know, we often invite people to write letters to us. We don't get a lot, but people can share their views at media at wamca.org. And Jonathan, a listener in Valley Falls, says, Today I heard Judy Patrick say something on the Media Project that was quite wise. You should say period, now let's move on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She pointed out that often journalists would report on subjects that they knew very little about, and she used the subject of economics as an example. I have often thought the same thing, interview after interview, usually with some politician that points out some dire prediction concerning the debt or government spending, contains little pushback. And I suspect the reason is that the interviewer has very little idea about the subject at hand. And he goes on, for example. Uh, what do we think about that? Is there are, are journalists, in fact, too? Uh, Judy, was that your point? You know, let me think of something wise to say. <laughs> Please. It is true that we do try to bone up on the subject before we engage in an interview. The common thought is that there's no stupid questions, but indeed there are a few stupid questions out there. <laughs> I, I, and I've been told that in the past. But you can't go in there completely naive, completely ignorant. Um, when you start to ask questions, you have to have at least some sense of it. But one of the reasons we developed Pete's in this business was to encourage people to develop an expertise. We want the environmental reporter to know a little bit about the environment, to know we want the economics reporter to know how to read a stock table. Um, we're losing some of that, especially at the smaller papers, when we lose the beats because they can't know everything all at once. Uh, religion reporters knew how how to handle religious stories. Um, nowadays, you're seeing more cross-beat coverage, and I think some of our ignorance is showing through. Hmm. Well, what do you think about that? I don't think there's any question that you have reporters, particularly at smaller publications and smaller broadcast outlets, who are not experts in every field? It's going to be impossible. It's why you see a lot of the, a lot of the larger places have people who are specialist in, uh, experts first and journalists second. 
you go into a story if you don't know anything about the subject matter you do your homework and you do as best you can but is that a is that a flaw in the quote unquote system sure it is it, the stories in some you know a newspaper the my the size that I used to publish don't have a lot of expertise on many subjects and you have to move forward as best you can but does could it impact your coverage negatively because you're ignorant of a subject sure it can it's a flaw but well we've thought of reporters as and editors as people who are jacks of all trade, master of none. So you have to know just enough and do enough homework to be able to report reasonably intelligently, ask reasonably intelligent questions on the topic that is at hand. We were talking last week's show about the coverage of the economy and how people... Oh, was it you who were the wise one, not Judy? Do you think uh, Judy she is, wasn't here? Judy is much wiser than I. <laughs> but we were talking about whether the media coverage of economics was making people feel down because we didn't know how to fully report what things were going on with uh, with inflation and jobs. and. You know, it's interesting, though, to the point of people not having expertise. In fact, at the better news organizations, people really do have expertise. The uh, medical reporter for The New York Times, Larry Altman, is an MD. Trained nutritionists write about that topic. People with PhDs are covering foreign affairs at these uh, for PhDs. In, in yes, but more. Judy is right when she says that the larger publications yeah. are going to have people who are expected to know what they're reporting about, and at the smaller publications, you know, forget about it. So what are you going to do? Are you going to not cover a topic if you don't have an expert? I mean, you try to get someone to develop expertise by putting them on the beat for as long as you can. And I actually think a lot of reporters take it very seriously and study hard to learn when I was first assigned to cover the courts, which was my very favorite beat as a young reporter, I spent a lot of time actually with lawyers trying to learn exactly what I needed to know. Yes, that's that's a good point. And I remember as a reporter talking to experts in various fields in development and taxation and uh, real estate and so that you can report and appear to know what you're talking about because you know just enough to be able to ask the questions and write about it. But I think that is lost on a lot of us. So this this reader, uh, I'm sorry, this listener, we're on radio here, folks, uh, says, for instance, I wonder if any panel member today, that's us folks, could give the correct answer to the following question, a question so basic that anyone unable to give the answer should never be allowed within a mile of a mic, at least with regards to interviewing any politician. So here's a question. Are you ready? Now, let's stand back a mile. How is the federal government funded, and how does this differ with other forms of government, state, local governments? Note, he says, that there is one correct answer, and it is not taxes. He says, I will not go into the correct answer further. Hopefully, you do know the answer, but if not, you may well be part of the problem. Kudos to Judy Patrick. This out. So it's, tell us why, Judy. I, I think we all need to put our coats on and go back out into the tundra. Because w we would assume that it's pay payroll taxes, excise taxes, taxes, uh, mm -hmm. taxes, taxes, taxes. So maybe Jonathan of Valley Falls is going to have to tell us because I, I presume he's going to say something like they print money. But, you know, economics professor would say that the federal government has never just printed money to fund the government. But that, the broader the broader question that he raises is if, in fact, that question can't be answered without any research, research needs to be done. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. 
Is right. that what right. I wasn't unable to phone a friend on that, and I <laughs> phoned somebody over at the economics department at Siena or UAlbany and, and gotten that answer. You know, one of the things we also can't overlook is the fact that reporters have support systems in the form of editors, and editors will help guide them. You should ask this question, um, and then there would be a backup of copy editors who would say, this reporter got this wrong. I mean, that safety net is also eroding, and we need to make sure that that's there to help guide these reporters as they encounter subjects that they're not familiar with. I would be worried if we, any of us on the panel today, were regularly reporting or editing on the topic of how the federal government is funded. Whatever Congress says they can spend, they spend. It actually sounds like a fairly boring story, too. Well, we'll find find out. out. So, uh, right, if we were the ones writing that, we ought to know. But none of us know that, Mm -hmm. I guess. I guess we we don't. We think we ought to know the answer. I want this gentleman to to get back to us. Rather than chasing us away from the microphone. But it's a very good point that uh, we expect reporters to report relentlessly, to seek the facts, and if they don't know something, keep making keep making phone calls, keep calling. I have found that with my journalism students that they will assume that everybody knows more than them, and they will put things into their stories that they don't know what they're writing about. And I remember entry-level reporters doing the same thing because they figure whatever the official told them or whatever was in the report, everybody seems to know this, this must be right, and they uh, need to have the confidence to know that they have to question it and they have to understand it. I remember one of my mentors writing an assessment of my work, and he wrote this most cutting phrase. He said he has a weakness for the views of experts. And I thought, I do? Oh, no. Uh, But, you know, because you have to be questioning even those who seem to be Uh, the wise old guys sitting there, like us, old now. But what what did that mean, that you were too often seeking experts for attribution on various topics or elucidation? You were sucked in by authority. I think I was credulous. That is, I would believe what people told me when I should instead question authority. So that goes back to the basic question we started with, was if you only knew so much and you needed to rely on these people, yeah, you're right. If you don't know more than you're already exposed, you could get the wool pulled over your head. Yeah. And I would mention to the, I was going to say caller, the writer who had listened, uh-huh. that we have enough trouble adjusting our mics before the fall, before the, <laughs> before the show starts taping. Uh, so. The squeaky mic uh, gets grease. <laughs> it should. We need but, our you know, I, I've mentioned this on the program before, and I know Rex used to shake his head about it, but I had an editor who refused to hire anybody who had a journalism degree, uh-huh. a master's degree, because he believed that he could always teach people how to write and research, but bring in people with expertise in specific fields. And if you have the luxury of doing that, that's great. But it's the blanket, and I'm never going to hire anybody out of journalism school. It's always struck me as odd. Yeah, but if you can find somebody with expertise, I, like I often tell the story of the probably the one of the, one of the best hires I ever made was somebody with who had been a biology teacher for a year in Boston public schools, and I hired her to cover environmental issues. And uh, she, you know, she really knew the science and was able to report this wonderfully. She became the chief environment writer for the Associated Press and, you know, went on to do better things than I was able to offer her at the Times Union. But if you can find somebody with expertise 
or if a reporter develops a specialty. For example, if you're covering state government, you develop an understanding of the budget process and, and how the state does its work. And sometimes these veteran reporters like Karen DeWitt of Public Radio in New York really understand what's going on, certainly better than their listeners do, <laughs> and that you develop an expertise and you depend upon veteran reporters. But the fact of the matter is, reporting is not going to make someone rich. And so reporters often take off and go to other kinds of work. But you hope that you will get experts of some sort or another in one field or another. People who have been in the military often turn out to be great reporters. They can cover military issues, but they also have a sense of getting the job done. You know, that's really sort of what you're taught in the Army. Do the job, get it done, and don't give up until you do. And that's actually great training for journalists. I think all of us in the room have been involved in hiring people in the past, and I I would agree that having somebody who is well-rounded, knowledgeable, and has the basic skills can be taught to be a good journalist. They've got to have that curiosity and and the ability to express themselves, talk to people. But I'll give you Albany credit for their journalism majors are also supposed to be required to be minoring in something else. Ah. So they Mm -hmm. are hopefully picking up other... Good. That's a really great idea. Along the liberal arts education. Great idea. There was a, by the way, a managing editor of the New York Times in the 1940s. His name was Turner Catledge, a legendary managing editor. And in the 40s, before there was any such thing as space travel, of course, he said you could take a good general assignment reporter and put him on the face of the moon and he would file in time for the five o'clock deadline. So, you know, this is the idea. You'll go with what you've got is the old journalism axiom. But don't go with more than you've got. Uh, You can't go with anything that you don't know. Anyway, thank you, Jonathan, for your letter. Media at WAMC.org is how you get into this, media at WAMC.org. And we'd be very happy to hear from any of you listeners on this topic and more. So I'm going to read you a quote now, folks, because this is the first show after the Iowa caucuses. And so we need to talk a little bit about coverage. John Stewart, who now does The Problem with John Stewart, Here is what he said. Read the room, media. Only 14% of Iowans voted. Trump only got 56,260 votes. He's not dominating anything. I think the point that he wants to make is, do media organizations, do we even on this show in talking about it, are we overstating the importance of something? Have we given too much attention to this particular phenomenon? Well, I'm going to go back to my old saw about broadcast media, specifically cable media versus print media. I think the print media is properly covering the the Iowa caucus and the subsequent caucuses to come, but it's not dominating the coverage. When you turn on TV, any of the three major cable news channels is likely to have something going on regarding this primary or this caucus, and in my view, disproportionately so. On the other hand, their marching order is to have, when people turn on their channel, to have news to broadcast, and people are not necessarily watching all day. Sadly, some people who watch Fox watch all day. So you've got to be covering it, but we need to make the distinction in in terms of over-coverage between people who watch cable news, and particularly who watch it all day, versus people who pick up a newspaper or go to the newspaper's website and refresh their memories as to what's going on. You know, we talk often about this question of horse race coverage being an unfortunate aspect of American journalism, that there is too much 
coverage of the race, not enough of the policy. Uh, that point is made well here, for example, I'm reading a piece by John Alsop in uh, Columbia Journalism Review saying covering the health of democracy requires deep coverage not only of threats to it, that would be Donald Trump, but the stuff of democracy. By that, I've mostly meant deeper coverage of policy. But then there is on the other side of it, Ben Smith, who is executive editor of Semaphore. He was the uh, editor of BuzzFeed and used to be uh, the uh, New York Daily News columnist and uh, he covered media for the New York Times. Anyway, Ben Smith has said that there is insufficient coverage of the race this year because everybody is just assuming that Donald Trump will have it. So I guess everybody's got a point of view about this. I don't know. Insufficient coverage? Is he mad? <laughs> I so agree about, I think Iowa is so overdone. I was so tired of hearing about those poor reporters from the city going out into Iowa. It was cold. <laughs> uh, you don't all have to go there. We don't need more reporters than there are voters or whatever caucus goers, I guess. Every four years, I think Iowa's overdone. Sometimes it means something in terms of giving someone momentum, but I think the momentum is provided by the all the coverage. Yeah. Uh, I also think New Hampshire's overdone, and it builds. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and the idea that this is important when we, we've got a few thousand votes in the scheme of things, it is not important, but it becomes important because cable news channels make it important. But I also believe that print overdoes it a bit, too, because they're not all just CNN and MSNBC people covering this and Fox people covering this. Everybody wants to go out there. I think even small papers are sending from out of Iowa. Although they say there are roughly half as many people out there this year than in the past. Well, thank God, because... Didn't they say there were... I think there were more media people there than there were voters by far. (laughs) We've talked week after week here about the loss of funding and the downfall of this industry, and yet papers, broadcast stations, whatever, they managed, you know, hundreds and hundreds of them managed to send people to this ridiculous caucus. You know, right, drivel. Who won? Donald Trump won. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and then the other, and then they proclaim the winner, like, seconds after the doors close in the gymnasiums across Iowa. I mean, they don't even do it right when they're there. I think their declaration of victory that night was premature. They should have held off. I think it's destructive well, but the, cri- the criticism was that they, they restarted reporting that Trump was the winner shortly after the caucus doors closed, but before m- many, if not most of the people had a chance to cast their vote. But we could have, we could have written that headline six months pre- ago. But the point, yes, is, exactly. the point is that Ridiculous. the caucus door had closed, the people in the caucus room were were not aware of what was being reported on broadcast, and so that was akin to the polls closing and the, and the votes having been counted. So I don't. I would criticize it if you called the state of California in a general election before the polls closed, because not everybody has had a chance to vote. But if you're part of a caucus and you're going into a room closing the door at 7 o'clock, then you're immune to what's being reported on the outside. Didn't they have phones? Is, is that, isn't well, that a distinction without I guess difference? there's that, but I don't know that that would have changed any votes. I think that the information that John Stewart had in his terse little comment is something worth telling people and repeating, but the bigger picture is that even if 14% of the people voted or whatever, that whoever wins these primaries, the caucus and the primaries, is going to become the person on the ballot. And... Yeah, and if they, if things are going the way they seem to be going, not just there but it, in the other states, the Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot. The difficulty is if we think of it not as 
as opening day, but as the World Series, you know, and if it's treated day as one. though it's a big deal, yeah, it's actually the first day, in effect, of the season. But, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and uh, there are so many people who want to write about politics because it's fun. It's a sport. I think it's easy. It's easy. It's easier than economics. There we go. Winners and losers. It's just like sports. And so that is where you get a lot of journalists showing up to say, well, I got to cover this. I'm a political writer. Good heavens. But the low numbers aren't proportionate to the amount of noise that those numbers make. You know, uh, we, we in, in the media generally inflated. It's a, it's an institutional problem. It's not individual journalists. It's really just the fact of how journalism is practiced in America. I don't know how you stop it. Well, as far as the, con- the criticism or comment about that we should be covering more policy, didn't your eyes glaze over as soon as you heard the word policy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you make a point. You know, the bigger story out there in Iowa is the fact that so many people believe that the election was stolen by Joe Biden. That is, that is the story. It's that frightening. The negation of reality is a story, and it's a That's right. huge story. And Nearly it, two-thirds of Iowa caucus goers, the New Republican caucuses, said that they don't believe that Joe Biden was legitimately elected. Just for the record, he yeah, was. He was. He was. No matter how many times people may say it. And the problem is, of course, that reporters who don't fact-check the citizens on the air, who let them say that and then don't immediately come back and label that a false claim advanced by Donald Trump. But that's part of the culture of the people running those stations, that their rule of thumb needs to be when somebody says that you need to come back, even if they have their stock answer, their, used to call it a nut graph, their sentence or phrase to retort that time and time again. But many of the people who believe it are not watching even even the partisan channels they're, they're resorting now to social media to get their True, news. True, but you can't leave it unchallenged. If you're leaving it unsaid, No, I agree 100%, but I, if you've seen some of the videos that are out there, some person wearing a Trump hat will say, I don't believe he's been charged with 91 counts. I don't believe it. Where do you get your news, social media? If their answer is flat out, I don't believe it, then what can you do except throw your hands up in the air? Is there adequate coverage of this issue? Oliver Darcy, the CNN uh, media reporter, says that there's this dangerous current underneath American politics of pulling Americans to political extremes. And he says media are failing to cover it. We are not looking at that pull, which is the untruths that are presented by Donald Trump. It's you know we've talked about this before. It's very hard to call uh, out Donald Trump's lies without seeming to be partisan and losing half your readership. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's hard to get clear answers. It, you you see these interviews of Trump supporters and they often they're, they're spouting nonsense and it makes for like amusing coverage. But what we really need to do is get at the heart of what's going on and talk to maybe someone who's not so amusing. And he may feel, he or she may feel disenfranchised by the Democratic Party. And also go into some of these focus group findings and find out why people remain committed to Donald Trump, even in the face of the indictments, in the face of the, you know, the convictions on sexual abuse and the allegations of, you know, taking nuclear secrets and storing them in a, a bathroom. I mean, We need more coverage of that. And we need to say that the people in Iowa, they're denying reality, but nonetheless, they support Donald Trump. I mean, that seems like the story. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to cover, but it could be fascinating. Even Ron DeSantis, by the way, has become now a critic. 
conveniently for him, a guy who's been a culture warrior and has uh, had a lot of uh, attacks on the press for distorting, he says. But now he, he says, you know, the press should call attention to the lies of Donald Trump. Where were you six months ago, Ron? Yeah, now that no one's listening to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> A dollar uh, late and a penny short, or I don't know what the expression is. However that goes. Yeah. A dollar late and a day short. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, I think I've been there. Right, guy from Little Falls. <laughs> I'm going to show be within a mile of that much. Jonathan, could you add that on to your response, please? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, these are things that, that are troubling for journalists, very hard to do. But let's talk just for a moment as we come toward the end of our show about what journalism ultimately leads to. This is serious stuff. The death toll of journalists and media workers in the war between Israel and Hamas has reached 79. That is according to the Committee to Protect Journalists. 72 were Palestinian. Of those uh, 79, four were Israeli and three were Lebanese. Plus there are others uh, injured. Russia is holding more than 25 Ukrainian journalists in captivity. And of course, uh, there is um, an American Wall Street Journal reporter who remains uh, held, Avon Gershevitz. Uh, so uh, the, the toll of serious reporting, the toll of the impact of serious reporting is significant. And we have to take some comfort from the fact that at least that doesn't happen yet in this country, right? But we do need to bear in mind that there are threats. Certainly, the, the former president wants to take some vengeance against journalists who he thinks are unfair to him. Uh, so maybe that's sort of some of the stuff that we ought to be calling out. I think he ventured uh, recently he wanted to take away the license or whatever we have that allows us to print what we do. And someone pointed out to him that that would be the First Amendment of the Constitution. <laughs> I don't think that the deaths of the journalists in these war areas are, are getting enough coverage. I worry that it's because they are Palestinian journalists or they Ukrainian journalists and they're not journalists, you know, close enough to home for us. We've never seen this in a war in wars before and it is not a good sign for all of us. Yes, when that people happens. don't realize how we depend on these very brave people to know sometimes not that much but as much as we know that's going on it's because of them and when they're killed that's coverage we've lost that those are stories we're not hearing so on that sober note it's the end of the show we thank you folks for listening and uh, standing with us as we discuss the ins and outs the failures and successes and the consequences sometimes of great journalism uh, I'm Rex Smith here with Judy Patrick, Barbara Lombardo, Ira Fussfeld. We thank our producer, Dave Gustina, and we thank you folks for joining us this week once again on The Media Project. It must have startled poor old Sadie's on Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Hold the press, hold the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. All newspapermen meet such interesting people. Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake. Ting-a-ling, ting-a-ling, ling-a-ling. Now newspapermen are such interesting people They used to work like hell just for romance but finally The Media Project is a national production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include former Times Union editor and current Substack columnist of the Upstate American, Rex Smith, Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Barbara Lombardo, the former editor of the Saratogian and a journalism professor at the University at Albany, and Ira Fussfeld, publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your producer, David Gustina. Thanks for listening. 
Now publishers are such interesting people Their policies an acrobatic thing They claim to represent the common people It's funny Wall Street never has complained Ah, but publishers have worries For publishers must go To working folks for readers And to big shots for their dough Now publishers are such interesting people It could be prostitution, I don't know Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation Ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising Get those readers, get that payoff What a headache, what a mess Oh, publishers are such interesting people Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press 